So in 1 Thessalonians 5, we begin reading, it's just two verses in verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Lord, thank you for giving us this day. Thank you for providing for us and thank you for helping us as we come today to worship you and to be filled with your word and your spirit. And we ask for your mercy to be extended to us upon our families, upon our church, upon our communities, upon our state and our country. Lord, we need your help. And we ask for your grace to sustain us and, and put us in a place where we need to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we look at this story here. It's not a story. It's actually just two verses of the Bible, but they are very powerful verses. And it's at the end of a letter, and Paul wrote a lot of letters. These letters we have to uh, be spread around to other churches. In fact, Paul would say, have this letter read in other churches. So they would copy these letters. They would pass them to other churches. So we're like the other churches. We're, we're reading copies of the copies, and we're reading these letters. And when you read these letters, he has many practical things to tell these churches. And we can go through there. And by no means are the two verses that we're talking about today going to be enough for us to do everything we need to do. That's why the whole Bible's there for us. But no one knows it all except the Lord. And I would suggest to you and me, and that all of us listen to the fact that God is not going to guarantee he's going to give us more knowledge until we're ready to take the knowledge that we have and do something good with it. So if you ever wondered, why don't I understand this or I understand that, uh, maybe it's because maybe we don't do what we need to do with what we already know. And so let's just, let's start somewhere, you know. Uh, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step, and it's clear to me that the only way that we get anywhere is to get started. So in, at the end of this, this letter to the Thessalonians, he says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. He, he, he speaks of these people, uh, he speaks of God as a God of peace. I'm so glad that God is not trying to terrorize us. Uh, a lot of people in the world uh, think that the, the Great Tribulation is a dreaded time. I don't think anybody really wants to go through the Great Tribulation. How many of you actually just want to go uh, the Great Tribulation to start tomorrow? Raise your hand. Now, if, if we escape, as I think we will, and we'll go to heaven, that's actually pretty good But for us. <laughs> but the Great Tribulation is something that's going to be terrible. Jesus himself said it's going to be tribulation and trouble that the world has never seen before. So the world's seen some pretty bad things. We read about it every day in, in, in the news, do we not, or hear about it. Terrible things going on, murder and, and, and theft and, and cheating and awful things that are going on. So if the great tribulation is so bad, but have you ever wondered why is the great tribulation going to be so bad? It's, it's, most people think it's because the devil's going to be persecuting the people that are left that are serving God, and, and he will. But the real problem is that God is sending the problem. 
It is God who starts sending the problem to the world. And if God is your enemy, it doesn't matter who your friend is, you're in trouble. And we all need to remember this, that when we worry about the world, you know, the Bible says in the world, you will have tribulation. So there, we're not escaping the world's tribulation necessarily, but we will escape, I think, God's tribulation that he's going to send to the world. He didn't appoint us to wrath. He appointed us to, to godliness, to peace, to things that are right. He's called the God of peace. And I believe that if we look at today's message, I hope that when you leave here, you'll realize that you don't have a God who's angry at you all the time. He may be sad and grieved. He may look at us and say, why are you doing that? And he may shake his head and be perplexed at why we do what we do, but he still loves us. And if he sent Jesus to die for us, I guarantee you he doesn't love you less now than he did then because he's done the most that he can do. And so anything else you ask from him is far less than what he did to save our souls. So don't be afraid to go to God and ask him for big things because none of them are big, none of them, not a one. He is great. So he's the God of peace and we need to recognize that it is he who is central to our lives. When the world is in turmoil, when the world is upset and angry, when we have things going on that we are fretful, and we're fretful about these things, we need to remember that it's the God of peace who's the source of our strength, and we need to go to him. So Paul says, may the God of peace himself he personally wants the people to receive something from this, the God of peace. And I, I want us to, to remember that when Paul talked to the Thessalonians, he also probably had in his mind everybody who hears this letter. So that's us too. I think that he was praying for us too. And I believe that Jesus is praying for us too. I think that what we want to remember is that we want a blessing not from the underlings. We want a blessing from God himself. And if God himself is giving you something, you know it's worthwhile. I used to love uh, Christmas as a kid. I think my best Christmas, uh, as far as my personal excitement over Christmas came when I was about eight years old. Uh, I remember that Christmas very well. It was such a, a wonderful thing time, but I remember looking forward to getting presents because that's what I was thinking about, you know, getting presents. And it was uh, the one year where uh, I think that my family was in a situation where uh, I was able to get a lot of neat stuff. And I still remember a lot of those little toys today. None of those toys that I know of exist unless they're in a landfill or, or somewhere, who knows what happened to them, probably degraded we don't know. They may, they may last a thousand years. Who knows? But I will say this, that my anticipation for Christmas as a second grader is nothing compared to what God wants to give us today. He wants you and I to receive personally something very important. And so what is it that God wants to give us? And what does Paul want God to give to us? He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you 
completely. That word sanctify is a great word, but it's a word that we don't use in our normal conversations. It's, it's hard to even translate it. Some people use the phrase set apart, but that doesn't really give you the, the sense that you need. So what does it mean to be sanctified? Because God wants us to be sanctified. It's something that we ought to want to pray for. And remember, when you pray, it always helps to pray for things that God wants for you. You know, pray for the things that God wants for you. You'll get it. And in this case, he wants us to be sanctified. So sanctification is a process by which you become more holy in your life. You become a holy person. H-O-L-Y, not W-H-O-L-E, okay? Not that kind of whole, but holy in your life. So he wants us to be holy, holy, W-H-O-L-E-Y and H-O-L-Y. He wants us to be completely holy. And I'm reminded of what happened with Moses. Remember, Moses was told to take off his shoes because the, the, the ground he was standing on was holy ground. Now, Moses was a shepherd. He had, had hidden out for years. He, he was born a Hebrew, uh, one of the slaves, uh, but his, the king of Egypt said, kill all the baby boys by throwing them in the river. Well, the mother didn't want him to do this, so she put him in a basket and had his older sister to watch him. And she led him out at a very strategic place, right near the nicest neighborhood along the Nile River, where there were a lot of rich people. So here's the little baby Moses floating down the river. Who knows if they're crocodiles? Who knows the dangers? But the, the sister is watching. So if there's anything that moves toward the basket, she can protect the baby. But then there's some, some women who are out there at the Nile River, and it just happens to be the princess of Egypt finds the baby Moses. In fact, gives him the name, Moses. Moses means drawn from the water. It's not a Hebrew name, by the way. It is an Egyptian name, which is why you don't have anybody else in the Bible named Moses. You got a lot of Zacharias, you know, you got a lot of Annas, you got just a bunch of Johns and Jameses, but you don't have but one that I know of, Moses, drawn from the water. So Moses is raised by the princess of Egypt, and also she has to have a nanny for him, and guess who becomes his nursemaid and his nanny? His own mother! So he gets raised by his real mother and gains an extra mother in the process who provides him wealth and status and education. See, God had a plan for Moses. Moses develops into a fine young man. We are told in the New Testament that he was raised with all the, the learning and wisdom of the Egyptians, but he also knew his heritage. You know, he knew he was Hebrew. He knew he was not naturally Egyptian. So as an adopted Egyptian, he had perfect and fluent Egyptian language, but he also had perfect Hebrew. So he was very smart. And he had this fierce uh, belief in justice. God had his hand on Moses. God had his hand on Moses. If you ever were to think that Moses was going to be a man who was going to make it someday, you would say that is a man's going to make it. But when he saw a Hebrew 
and getting abused, the Hebrews being abused by an Egyptian, he got into a fight with that Egyptian and he killed that Egyptian. To hide the fact that he killed this Egyptian to defend a slave, he put the body in the sand. Later, Moses, seeing two of the Hebrews fighting each other, he says, why are you fighting each other, your brothers? So Moses is actually a peacemaker. I would argue that Moses, even though he violently killed a man, he did it to try to save lives. He did it for what he considered the right reason. He had a fierce sense of justice as a young man. So he was brave and he took the initiative and, and he was a kind of man who you didn't want to mess with. But the Hebrews who were fighting, rather than giving him respect, they looked at him and one of them said, well, are you going to do the same thing to us that you did to that Egyptian? Uh-oh. <laughs> he got found out. And he had to run for his life. And he was a fugitive from that day forth. And he went into the desert and he ended up becoming a shepherd. And for 40 years, he lives a life free of Egypt. And he does have some, we have evidence that he corresponded with his brother and he had had some, his natural brother and he had some connections, but he really lived a long ways away. And it was then when he sees this amazing sight, there is this fire. Well, I mean, everybody has been to places and seen smoke and fire and what do you wanna do? You wanna look and see what's causing the fire. He, see, he sees a fire and it's a tree that's burning up, but he doesn't see the smoke. In fact, he sees a bush, but it doesn't get consumed. So he's, he really is curious, the burning bush. And when he gets there, that's when the Lord told him to take off his shoes because the place where he was standing is holy ground. You see, God wanted Moses to, to break his connection with the world, to, to rid himself of those connections so that he could absorb the connection that God himself, who was present in the burning bush. And because holiness is, is something that you and I can't make ourselves. You can't buy it in a store. It's not in a bottle. You can't inject it in a vaccine. You literally have to absorb it from God. So I guess we need to understand that to be sanctified means you have to get something from somebody who you, you can't get it from yourself. You've got to get it from God himself. He has to give holiness to you. It has to be absorbed by you. You have to be with him and you have to be disconnected from the other things, which is why God said, take off your shoes, Moses. Your shoes represent his connection with the old dirty world. By taking off his shoes, he is in direct contact with ground that God has made holy. And, and I'm trying to avoid the idea that holiness and cleanliness are the same things. They're not exactly the same things. The Bible talks about the word of God as being a purifying agent. And we talk about the stains of sin in our lives. And they are, they do stain our lives. And, and the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this, this cleansing characteristic that comes from the word of God and the word of God does cleanse us. But holiness is not a cleansing agent. Holiness is a state of, of atmosphere that God himself has. It's almost indescribable but it is something we are commanded to be 
Be holy, for I am holy, the Bible says. So if holiness and sanctification is what God wants for us, then we need to get it the same way that everybody else got it in the Bible, which is by disconnecting and giving our attention to God and being in his presence. Now, we're living in a time when we are distracted all, almost all the time. There's so many forces competing for our attention. You've got commercials uh, that are so loud. When I was a kid, I watched way too much TV. And uh, I'm sure none of you watched too much TV in your life. But uh, when we would watch the TV, which was usually in a box on the floor in a cabinet type thing, that's the way they old, old color TVs. They were black and white TVs too. And so the TV, the, you'd watch a show and the volume would be at like a seven level out of 10. And then, uh, but then when the commercial would come on, it'd be at a 14, <laughs> you know, why? Because they're trying to get your attention, aren't they? Constantly trying to grab your attention. We have to go become mature people where we're able to say, I'm gonna disconnect from those things that are not helping me and actually keeping me from the Lord. They may be good things, they may be things that are innocent, but they are not helping me be holy. To be sanctified, therefore, means that we have to be with God, we have to give our attention to God, at, and be available with God and to God. So God wants us to be holy. He, if God himself is sanctifying us, we have to go visit him. We need to spend time with him. Jesus said the best prayers are done privately when, you, when no one even knows you're praying. That's a, that's a good idea because if you're by yourself and you're still praying to God, he knows you're being sincere because you're not trying to impress anybody else. So that's a good place to start. If you're driving down the road, I suggest praying. Only do it with your eyes open. <laughs> I do suggest that. I don't have faith to drive and close my eyes. Now, we need to put our faith in the Lord and we need to let him sanctify us. And he says completely. So he says, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have what God wants to do. He wants our spirits, our souls, and our bodies to be preserved. He really does care about us, doesn't he? He wants us to be completely holy. Not partially, but completely. So let's think about that for a second. God made us with three different aspects to our, our, our beings. We are spiritual beings, but unfortunately, we're born into the world spiritually dead. So we don't even have that as a, a real thing until we are uh, saved. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, you cannot be saved. So we cannot enter heaven without being born again. So you, you start out spiritually dead. Now your, your heart is beating, you're breathing with, through your mouth and your soul, and you're not held accountable uh, per se with your sins until you reach an age of accountability. But the fact is you're still not spiritually alive. And, and so we need to become born again. And that starts with the spirit. When we're born again in our spirit by confessing Jesus as the Lord, believing that God sent him, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the grave according to the scriptures, 
And if we confess him as Lord in our mouth and we've done that, then we are saved by the grace of God. And he commands us to be baptized. And by being baptized, we represent to the world that we are followers of him. He said if we're ashamed of him before men, he would be ashamed of us. So we need to follow him and believe in him. Now, so we have to be saved spiritually, and, and that's so important. Now, but that means that we're born again, but are we grown-ups just because you're saved? No, you're still young. You're just like a little spiritual baby. So in life, you and I need to grow. From the time we were born, we need to grow. And, and what does a baby need? It, it needs a good environment. It needs to have right nutrition. It needs to have good exercise, good rest, good work, all those things. And that's what you need in your spirit. So if you're not exercising your spirit, if you're not spending more time with the Lord in prayer, if you're not reading the Bible more, if you're not exercising spiritual things the way you need to, then you're not growing. You're just staying a baby. And that's so true of so many of us. We're much more immature, I think, spiritually than we need. So God wants us to grow spiritually so that the spirit of, of our bodies, the spirit of our lives, is in control. You see, God designed it this way. The spirit controls the soul. The soul controls the body. It's in a hierarchy. It's very important for us to do as God designed it. So if our spirit is right with God, if we're praying right, living right, then our soul is thinking right. Now, what in the world is your soul? The, the Greek word for soul is, is where we get psych, psychology from, the word psyche. And uh, unfortunately, psychology, modern psychology, if you go into a class, they're going to say uh, psychology is a study of behavior, which is silly because psychology means a study of the soul. But they don't want to go into those things, so they just say study of behavior. They don't even want to admit the soul exists. A lot of people don't. But I'm telling you right now, your soul exists. Your soul is your personality. Have you ever seen a person at a funeral and seen their body? but you said to yourself, they're not really there because they're not really there, are they? Their soul is not there. Their body is there, but they are not there because their soul is somewhere else. The soul is your mind, your thinking part, and I'm not talking about your brain. The brain is the body's connection to the soul and especially to the, to the intellect, but your spirit is in charge of your soul. Your soul is your thinking part. Your soul is your choosing part. You choose. You, we're, we're not like the animals. We, we make choices. They make choices too, but they're not overly thinking them. They're more impulsive, although some people live very impulsively. I heard a story of these two preachers, Bill and Jim. And Brother Bill said to Brother Jim, uh, Jim, I, I, I saw the Smith family uh, recently, and th they said that they... They heard your message and that it was very moving. And of course, uh, Jim said, yep, it was moving all right. They, uh, they moved to your church. <laughs> I, I hope today that I don't have that kind of moving message. But I do want to make sure that you and I know that in our soul, we're thinking in our soul. So what you think about is important. You are what you think. You will be doing what you think. So 
meditating and and thinking on good things, if your spirit is leading your soul, you're in good shape. But you and I know what happens. We can easily allow worries to really tear us up. You, You can allow problems that you're facing to occupy your mind. So instead of getting God's direction in our minds, we're getting the circumstances of the world, cluttering our thinking and disturbing us in a way that ruins our health. It has been proven that if you are a worrier, your health physically suffers. There's no doubt about it. You are much better off if you're a worry-free person. If you're not handling stress in your life properly, you're going to have a problem. So God wants us to handle stress properly. And that's why we need to be sanctified entirely. Our spirit needs to be on the right place with God. Our soul needs to be in the right place with God. Because the way God wants us to follow is the spirit tells the mind what to think. The mind tells the the volition what to choose. And your choosing part tells the emotions, hey, get with the program, let's get revved up and motivated because your motivation is very important. I'm glad we're not robots. I'm glad we have emotions. I'm glad we have feelings. So that's the design. And then once your emotions get revved up, your body follows. So that's the pure plan. Spirit's telling the mind what to do. You choose the right thing. Your emotions, you feel the right thing, and you do the right thing. Remember that the body always goes where your soul already is. So where your thinking is, that's where your, your, your body's going to go. So if you keep thinking about something long enough, guess what you're going to find yourself? You're going to be there soon enough. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you think about it long enough, you're going to be there soon enough because that's just the way it is. We've all had that experience. If there's a big need and you're, you need something or if you're craving something, if you think about it long enough, you're going to find a way to get it. A mind is an amazing thing. So if, if we're thinking about the right things, if we're choosing the right feelings to help motivate us and we get fired up the way we need to be, then our bodies are going to do the right thing. But the world's got it upside down. The, body, uh, the world says your body is all it counts. They are absolutely obsessed in this sinful world with the body. It's so terrible that they're perverting children to the point to where they're letting elementary kids do horrible, be exposed to horrible subjects that they should never, ever have to listen to. And they have overly emphasized the flesh and sensuality to the point to where singers, popular singers today, it's not enough that they get up and sing a song. No, no, no. It's not about singing the song. It's up there showing as little bit of clothing as you can and uh, exploiting the, the physical body in ways that God never intended. You see, the devil knows how to abuse and pervert our lives. He knows how to get us. And so the human body has natural desires and those desires are easily uh, led. And if we let our bodies tell us what to do, then we got everything upside down. So the world has it this way. Do what you feel like doing. You ever heard somebody say that? Ever heard people say, follow your heart? Like, follow your emotions. See, they've got it backwards. So do what you feel like doing in your heart. 
Follow your feelings and you'll be fine. No, you will not. And then your mind is obsessed with following those things. And if your mind is thinking only of those things all the time, what are you going to do? You're going to do those things. It's really easy to follow the Lord if you're thinking about the Lord. It's really easy to get yourself fired up for God if God is in control. But if we're not sanctified and if we're allowing all these distractions, if we haven't taken off our shoes and spent time with God at the burning bush, we're not going to go where we need to go. So we need to be preserved entirely. There's no area of our lives where God doesn't want to be involved. He literally wants to preserve us whole entirely, our spirit, our soul, and body in that order so that we're ready at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I got good news for you, is that we are told in the Bible, and this, is, by the way, is a very hard thing to do. I told you, you can't get holiness in a bottle. You can't go to the store and buy it. It's not something you can really exercise and gain. It's just something you have or you don't have. So how do you get it? You get it from the Lord. He has to give it to you. And notice what he says in verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Do you know he's calling you? He's calling all of us. And not only that, but he's very faithful. He's not going to leave you out to dry. He's here to help you. He will do it. He will sanctify you. If you think you're not going to be sanctified, just remember, he will do it. He's called you. He's going to keep his end of the bargain. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us all. If we would be faithful to do our part and making ourselves available to him, he will help us and he will accomplish what needs to be done. I came across a great verse in the book of Isaiah. It's a sad verse in the verses that follow, but the first verse of Isaiah 65 is a great little verse. Here's what the Lord said. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Think about that for a moment. I, uh, I think about that because here we are, most of us are Gentiles, we're not Jewish. Some of you have Jewish blood in you, and if we go back, we probably have some Jewish connections in all of our families. We're all connected to Noah anyway, by the way, we're all connected to him, we know. And, and when you read the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, they talk about so-and-so begat so-and-so, you're, you're looking at your family tree. So how, how far back can you trace your family line? Well, it goes back to the beginning, and yours does too. But in this case, I want you to know that the Gentiles were not God's chosen people. God's chosen people were the people of Israel. And in the Old Testament, they were given a task to be faithful to him. But unfortunately, they fumbled a lot. They, they didn't do their job very often. They often had very bad times. And God says to Isaiah in this case that I was found by a nation who didn't even call on me. And that's the way I feel. I'm pretty sure that my great ancestors from thousand years ago were probably worshiping the sticks and rocks. Who knows what they were doing? I feel so fortunate that God was able to save me because, you know, I'm not a Jewish person. And here God wants us to know that he loves us. He calls us. 
He says, here I am, here I am. All you gotta do is listen to him. But you won't hear him screaming louder than the commercials. He's not going to flash big lights at you necessarily. We, we don't all have that Damascus Road experience that Paul had when he was called Saul. But I guarantee you this, he is there and he wants us to listen to him. He loves you, he loves me, and he has a plan in this day to help us. And I think that it starts with just getting our own selves healthy, healthy and holy before him. And I, I pray that you will start with just spending time with God. Whatever time you spent last week, spend more time this week <laughs> privately with God. Take time, humble yourself before God, you know? If you live a humble life, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. It's when I've got everything figured out that I know I don't. So do not be stubborn, give in to the Lord. And pray for each other so that they also will be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we, we know it's very easy to get off track and to get things in the wrong order. Remember, your body shouldn't lead you. Your body should follow. You are in command of your body or your body's in command of you. So make sure you tell it what to do. It won't want to do it. It's like getting out of bed uh, instead of pushing that, 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 that snooze. Or when you, you got a task to do, but you put it off. No, tell your body what to do because you're doing the right thing. And get your soul in the right frame of mind. Tell your mind, hey, I need to think about right things. No wonder I'm upset all the time. I'm not thinking right. I need the Lord to help us. And when we do this, I believe that God will help us because notice he says, he who calls you, and he is calling you, is faithful who will also do it. So he's going to do it in your life. Let's ask God's grace upon the rest of this day. Lord, help us as we hear this message that our whole spirit, soul, and bodies will be preserved blameless. You're the God of peace. And Lord, I want peace to be upon us as a people at, here in our church, our community. I want peace in our land. I want those that want to divide our country. I want those people to be set aside and I want new people put in who are going to do what's right for the people. Help us, Lord, to help our neighbor and love our neighbor as ourselves. And guide us, Lord, that people will know the great salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, who himself bore in his body the, 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 the pain of the cross. And Lord, thank you for rising from the dead and that if we put our faith in you, we know that we have life forevermore. 